All right, so hopefully everybody has an outline. Where's my baseball? It should say experiencing, got that? Experiencing the beauty and power of God. So um, this is Valentine's Sunday. <laughs> I saw a classic thing happen on my way here. I'm watching this man with a little dog and his wife, and they're stranded on the median on La Paz Road. So the guy somehow got his wife to cross, and there they are in the middle of this thing. Cars are whizzing, you know, and everything. And then being the man that he is and the sensitive man, especially on Valentine's Day, next time he gets a tiny open, he takes off. This is all happening. He takes off with the dog, runs across the thing, leaving his wife stranded there on the, <laughs> the median. And I was just thinking, a good husband that I am, having had many years of experience, about how he got chewed out on the other side once she got there. <laughs> he was an older guy. You'd think he'd have learned after 10 or 20 years. No. <laughs> no. I don't know, man. I don't know if we ever make it. I don't know if we ever grow up till heaven, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, well, I'm going to talk about experiencing the beauty and power of God and um, so when you read biblical accounts of radical experiences with God, believe that every one of them is for you. That's why the Bible is so powerful. Every one of them is for you. Everyone's an example. Everyone's pointing to God, not just generally, but about you. And David wrote from Psalm 27, 1 to 6, in the whole psalm really, when troubles surround us, we can be fearless. It's amazing. And we can gaze at the beauty of the Lord. We can stay encouraged with shouts of joy. We can make music to the Lord. And boy, clearly he's uh, actually uh, have some kind of deal going on there because uh, if you read about the life of David, even the little that we read here, the Lord is my, my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? He had a lot to fear. He had a rough life coming up, even while he was king. Betrayal on every side, great years of difficulty. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? This king that's chasing him all around the countryside, <laughs> trying to kill him. Uh, after he helps the king, you know, he, it's, he, there's no gratitude, and, and um, he's seen as an outlaw. When the wicked advance against me, devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me. Then we look at this and we say, this guy, he, he, he understood the depths of what it is to be lost and broken and beat up and deserted. But he says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. I want to be in that place. How about you? An army of trouble. COVID-19 army, you name the army, my heart will not fear. He's got something going on the inside of him that's so dramatic. This is the thing that impresses me about David. It's not only his outward exploits, but inside how he was made, how he's put together. The war break out against me, and it did. Even then, I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek. You would think, you know, victory over my armies, death to my enemies, you know that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. He was this worshiping warrior. And his favorite thing to do in the whole world was gaze on the beauty of the Lord in His temple, just to be in church all day long, worshiping Jesus. For in the day of trouble, ah, there's something to this. For in the day of trouble, a person with lifestyle, he, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Then verses 13 and 14, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, I think it gets me about these passages that God, that David not only did these things, uh, worshipped and spent a lot of time before the Lord as some way to get favor. I don't think that was his primary motivation. I think he genuinely liked God. He really liked God. He really liked Him. He really liked hanging out. He thought it was fun. That was his favorite thing to do, right? And the byproduct of it was this enormous confidence for his life, right? So no matter the circumstances of our lives, we can look to the Lord with a radiant face, never covered with fear, and shame. And so this same writer, look at Psalm 34. I love these verses so much. They're artistic, they're beautiful, but they have this ironclad uh, anointing on them for ordinary everyday life. 
I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So clearly he's drinking something, eating something, experiencing something that enables him to get past the worst of fears. Now, if you know his story, you understand why. Fighting for his life many, many times, being chased all over the place, you know, betrayed, betrayed, and betrayed again. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Look at verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He had to do that many times. Fear the Lord, you, his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. Let's move up to verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from how, how many of their troubles? Aren't you glad that our righteousness doesn't just come from our own good works, but now, because of Jesus, we just had communion about this. It comes because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He makes us righteous. He makes us clean. Even when we're not righteous, we can cry out and say, Lord, I did it, and it's blotted out. It's forgiven. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have any troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So all believers are also equipped to experience the emotional passion of the bride and the bridegroom in their relationship with Jesus. So we're looking at David with this radical somehow inside relationship. But this intimacy comes actually into a picture that we see at the very last book of the Bible in Revelation. And it's just a great picture because what I'm going to talk about is this amazing love God has for us, and we can picture it in various ways. One way to picture it is the relationship between uh, a parent and a child. Another way we can picture it is the relationship between a husband and a wife, the marital relationship. And Jesus is basically saying, uh, and basically this passage in Revelation is saying, the spirit and the bride say, come. And who are they saying come to? They're saying, Jesus, come. Jesus, we want you. We can't wait for time to be consummated. We can't wait for time to be with We can't wait for you to be with us, both now and forever. The spirit and the bride say, come. So these, these two huge pictures, really, as it, the scriptures unfold, one of them is the picture of a father-son, a mother, a daughter, a mother, you know, this family relationship, and the other is this bridal relationship. So we're talking about Valentine's Day, and really, this is God's understanding as we're going to talk here a little bit about love, the source of love, and how we can experience love. All of this is possible through Jesus who paid the price for us to be saved and who supernaturally baptizes, or, and that word baptize means to immerse us with the Holy Spirit. Now, so some of you are familiar, many, most of us should be familiar with water baptism, but maybe you're not as familiar with spirit baptism. The Lord baptizes with the Spirit. Remember when he appeared to his disciples? You know, we see this actually as he's resurrected from the dead. And he's been uh, actually showing himself to the disciples for many, many days, about 40 days. And then he says something to them on the 40th day, and this actually happens 10 days later. And he says, he says uh, For John baptized with water, but, you, but, but in a few days, actually it was 10, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Spirit. In other words, you're going to get immersed in the Spirit of God. Now the funny thing about it was, when he resurrected on the first day, he breathed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. But there was clearly something missing. There was a baptism. There was an immersion in the Holy Spirit that he was about to give them, and which is available to all of us as well. And why is this significant? Well, the thing of it is, when Jesus left, the way we proceed with God is we proceed with the power of the Spirit. That's what he gives us as a gift. We get it when we're saved, and then we receive it when we are baptized, when we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, right? So he gets up. Uh, the first day of the resurrection, that night, he looks at his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. When the risen Son of God looks at you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit, right? right. Yeah. Okay, but then what's up? Forty days later, he says, you know what? You're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what's up? So then it happens ten days later. So we read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. They receive this amazing baptism of the Holy Spirit and empowers them. They become like Jesus. They begin to heal the sick and raise the dead. They start casting out demons. They fall in love with God, and the, the church begins to explode. And then we see an odd thing. A couple of chapters later, they're prayed, and they're kind of in a difficult spot, and they ask for 
uh, uh, boldness. They want just to be bold. They're a little bit afraid. Now the authorities are beginning to push back on them. In this passage, they, they're praying. He said, Thou, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now look at this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I, I don't get it. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one time on that resurrection night. Number two time, 50 days later. Number three time, they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. Yeah, right here, they're filled with the Holy Spirit again sometime later when they're a little shaky and they need boldness to keep doing God's will. Isn't that amazing? And so as we look at these verses, we begin to understand a pattern. And we look at Ephesians 5.18. It says to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek tense there is not just to be filled once, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So evidently we leak. <laughs> I guess that's it. You know. but the thing is, it's very important to understand that we get filled with the supernatural. That is the way we operate. This is the way Christians operate. I'm not talking about kind of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about emotional hype. I'm talking about the reality of the living God inside of you operate in signs and wonders and all the things that God has to use you for in the world. You're not empty, you're equipped. Don't ever believe that you're empty. You're never empty as a believer. That's why this time that we're in, we're the solution to all the problems that are in this uh, world situation. It's our prayers that ultimately will take away this plague. I like the vaccines, maybe, but I, I'm still trying to figure that one out, but, but I like all the other stuff that's going on you know, with regard to trying to heal this and help us in any way they can. But ultimately, it's our prayers that will end this thing. Right? Our prayers will end this thing. Isn't that amazing? What a responsibility. So if you didn't know that, you better start knowing it. It's better start, start praying. <laughs> Did anybody check on the numbers lately in Orange County? What's going? How many think they're going up in Orange County? How many think they're going down? All right. You've been watching. You know why I watch them? Well, I like numbers anyway, but I watch them <laughs> because I believe my prayers make a difference. We make a difference. That's why church is essential business. You don't want to shut the mouth of the church. You want them to gather as much as possible and bind and loose in such a time. The world doesn't know that, but we know that. I hope we know that. That's the real issue, by the way, of meeting and gathering. You're the people of God. That's what you do. And you're not just the temple by yourself, but you're the temple of the Holy Spirit together, corporately. And in the temple, holy, amazing things happen. Intercession goes up. Powerful things move. The demonic things in the demonic realms, right? All right. So here's the thing. God not only fills us with power, but here's the Valentine's part of this. God also embraces us, fills us with love and compassion like a father with his children. Matter of fact, I want to read from Romans chapter 8. Matter of fact, he fills us so full that he makes us to the place where we just say about God like we would our own dad that's been good to us, Daddy, which is Abba. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. I'm just so happy for our church because I think we've been brave during this time. And we've got to keep being brave because the Spirit doesn't know fear. So if you're living in the Spirit and you're walking with the Spirit, you that's why people look at us. and Even some other believers look at us and say, wow, you know, you're bold. Well, I'm not sure if we're any braver than anybody else, but like I think that's what you're supposed to be. I think if you've got the Spirit going, you just sort of walk to the beat of a different drummer. You just don't do what everybody else does. That's normal, by the way. It's normal for us to be in a tent. <laughs> it's more normal for us to be in there, which we will be shortly. But nevertheless, the spirit of fear is what is the issue. And there's a lot of it to go around. You notice that? So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive does, what does he do? He, he brings about your adoption of sonship. You know that you're loved. You know that you've, you've got not only a, a father in heaven uh, who, who can throw down thunderbolts and part seas and do all kinds of things, but you have a father in heaven that wants to give you a hug. You can call Abba. Father, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, and the Greek word there, we cry is an, an, a, a, a powerful word. It's an animal shriek. We shriek, Abba, Father, this is a powerful section. The Spirit himself testifies. That's where we get the word for martyr, with our spirit, that we're God's kids. 
The Spirit testifies that we're God's children. So not only do we receive power, but we receive love, supernatural love bursting in our heart, the Father's amazing love. It's a real experience. We're meant to experience a veritable downpour of God's love. If you look at Romans 5, 5, and hope does not <clears throat> put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love is meant to be poured out. That's like the word for like like a, a ama- amazing uh, rainstorm. It's not just a little sh- uh, a shower. It's like a downpour. The Lord has been, the, God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. So through the Holy Spirit, we should be experiencing, and we can experience a downpour, the very love of God pouring through us. And that changes you forever when love pours through you like that. I believe that's what David had in the tent. That's why he liked to be there. It felt good. He could feel the love of God radiating around him. It gave him courage. It gave him strength. Because you know what perfect love does? It casts out fear, doesn't it? I was thinking about this with regard to Charles Finney. And one of the things that we do, we talk about uh, uh, the love of the Father a lot here. It's our word for this part of the Holy Spirit that comes in and loves us and embraces us, gives us these divine hugs. Many of the great men and women of history have experienced this as they went out to do ministry and, and great power and, and grace. But inside of them was this amazing awareness of the love of God. Power will get you this far. Love will get you way farther. Love gives endurance. Love understands God. Love understands the movements of God and works with them. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. There's this union. And in between this union is this amazing love that we have with the Holy Spirit. Here's Charles Finney's testimony. Now, how many know who Charles Finney was? Anybody? Well, the greatest evangelist that has ever lived. He lived in the 19th century. I returned to the front office and found that the fire I had made of large wood was nearly burned out. But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind there was any such thing for me, without any recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. He's at this point experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity go through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. That was what was in the tank. That's what fueled him. Not only the power, but the love of God. Because the love of God will unravel you and take you apart molecule by molecule and then put you back together again. That's how powerful it is. Power is one thing. Love is another thing. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. He's quoting Romans 5.5. I... I wept aloud with joy and love, and I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after another, until I recollect I cried, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more, yet I had no fear of death, and so on. And that's what launched his ministry. Now I'm standing here before you as one that's had that happen to him, and not just once. Matter of fact, many times, maybe not to that degree, but to the degree that uh, it has become a normal part of my expectancy as a believer. And I believe it's for all of us. God brings these baptisms. He doesn't just bring it one time in our life, but many times. Sometimes at the deepest part of our, our pain and sorrow in God, He brings these billows of love. You can expect that. Sometimes we're not even expecting anything He brings. But learning to recognize love is one of the great journeys of our life. And God wants to break through just like He did in this man's life. So I was thinking about that. Um, I thought often of that amazing testimony uh, of Finney. You know, in 1 John 5, 3, he says, carrying out God's wishes are not burdensome. He says, the commands. You ever find the commands of God burdensome sometimes? Especially when you're a new believer, you feel like that. They're burdensome. They're restricting me. They're holding me back. They're hemming me in, uh, whatever it is. But the writer says, they're not burdensome. You know why they're not burdensome? Because God's presence is always there. And when we obey, His His presence gets even bigger. I read a book that has changed my life. There's been many that have changed my life. But it's a book that was written uh, by a woman named Bilquis Shake. Now, you may not know her. She wasn't well known. 
but she was a, an aristocratic Muslim woman who came to Christ in Pakistan in the last part of the 20th century. And uh, so there were no believers in Pakistan, virtually none except for foreigners that were there. And still, as it is today, it's pretty rough to be a believer in Pakistan, although I'll tell you what, that's changing a lot. It's changing a lot even as we speak. But it's rough. It's rough to be in an all-Muslim country and be a, a strong uh, believer. And uh, so she began to go on this journey, and she noticed that there was a Bible like kind of laying uh, from one of the servants laying on the countertop, and she stumbled across it. She had a bunch of servants, and when she began to read the Bible, uh, she began to get uh, excited. She began to understand something, and it was really thrilling to her, but then she felt guilty, and she'd put away, you know, and then go back to the Quran. And then, but when she read the Bible, she, she, she got more and more excited, you know. She just kept seeing the love of God pouring through, right? And, uh, and so the Lord began to disciple her just by reading the Bible, and there were no other believers around. And she wrote a book about it called I Dared to Call Him a Father. And um, so she meets the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all separately. She read about them in the book, and so she meets the Father, then she meets the Son, and then she meets the Holy Spirit. The Son one was really hard because she knew if she gave her heart to Jesus, she could be persecuted and killed for it, right, if anybody found out. And then the Holy Spirit came. And so she asked for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And many of us who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, one of the first signs that we got is speaking in tongues or some sort of language like we see at Pentecost. But for her, she had this interesting experience. She had experience like Charles Finney where the love of God just poured over her, over her and over her and over her. And she stayed in that space for, for hours and hours at a time, just the love of God, that downpour we spoke about in, from Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 5. But here she be, and, and there was no one to disciple her in the beginning. She had no Christian friends. She was just by herself in this land being discipled by Jesus, basically. And she noticed something. And I want to just share this. I'm going to read it. She noticed that when she disobeyed, the presence lifted. Her measure of her walk with God was not that she was obtaining to some amazing goal of obedience and look at me, you know, and I've obeyed this and this. It was the, the presence because the most precious thing to her was the presence and the most pre uh, precious thing about the presence was the love of God. I just can't say that enough. And so she said, and I want to just quote this, she, she said finally she to Jesus when she had disobeyed, uh, you know, and done something she shouldn't. She was so broken up, but she was broken up not just because of the sin, but because this presence left. It wasn't as strong as before. And she literally became addicted to the presence of the, lo of, of, of the Lord, of the presence of the love of God, right? Matter of fact, isn't it interesting? On the first day of Pentecost, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and everybody thinks they're drunk. <laughs> They've been drinking some. <laughs> and it's such a humorous thing to God. The very first sermons ever preached, he has to say, look, uh, first of all, I'd like to address you all. Uh, these guys aren't drunk. That's the first sermon that was ever preached. These guys aren't drunk, which tells you something. <laughs> what does drunkenness do? It distorts things. Uh, it, it, you know, it, 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 your normal senses aren't functioning normally, right? So that's the way it is with the presence of God. And so this is what she says when she disobeyed. She says, I will obey you. She disobeyed and she felt the presence. She says, now from now on, Lord, I will obey you. I've always thought it a sacrifice to give up my own will, but it's no sacrifice because it keeps me close to you. How could your presence be a sacrifice? So in other words, she was so in love with the presence of God, she didn't want to sin because she didn't ever lose the love, right? So this is what we really call sanctification. Sometimes you don't feel any goosebumps, you need to obey anyway. But really the result of a lifestyle of obeying God should also come with the presence. Otherwise it just becomes legalism and obedience. It's, there's something there, there's a marriage that's happened here. There's an adoption that's happened here. There's an Abba Father thing that's happening here, and that's really critical. So I want to illustrate this a different way and make it a little more personal. When I first came to California, uh, we were, had planted a church in Hawaii, and I'd been on the road for six or seven months out of every year for a number of years. I was trying to figure out, like, this family of mine's growing, and I'm trying to figure out, where are we going to land? Where are we going to live? We knew we were supposed to move to California, so we got that down. Then we ran across the vineyard, but frankly, I, I didn't understand the vineyard as well as I should. I, I couldn't quite figure it out, you know? 
Um, I was very, very acquainted with power at the time. I'd been praying for the sick. I'd been doing lots of evangelism. But these vineyard people, like when what was happening at the time in the mid-'80s was uh, uh, a little different. They were like, wow, they were like way over the top. Uh, like, like, okay, I still had a little thing in me, you know, like legalism. Like John would say, all right, all you that are struggling with homosexuality uh, this weekend, why don't you come up to the front? And like 500 people come to the front. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this, is, this place has got a lot of sinners. Yeah, but boy, and then I watch them. They'd be on their knees weeping and crying. Yeah, and I remember doing another one. You know, a couple weeks later, I'd be, all right, who struggled with pornography? Come up here. We'll pray for you. Another 500. And they were so vulnerable, and they were always crying. And they were always lifting their hands and doing this with their hands. And it was really irritating. <laughs> put your hands up, put them down, but don't do this. You know, it's very distracting. For, and then I'm going, for all the new people. And so honestly, the compassion and the power that I saw there and the tenderness actually confused me because I'd been around a lot of charismatic churches, but it was more about power and like a kind of a praise relationship, a praise worship. But then they would like sing, and when they sing, they would sing these love songs, and it would like bring you to tears, you know, and I didn't like tears. I was embarrassed about tears, you know, and I'm thinking, what is happening to me? This is so weird, you know. And uh, oh man, and I should have like been in a place where I liked it, but I just didn't know. I, I it didn't. I, so I'd been trained in a certain way, and I've been doing ministry for a long time in a certain way. Now I'm going to have to learn something new, and people don't like to learn something new, you know. So when you don't want to learn something new, you say, well, that's probably not right, you know. Probably something's wrong here, you know. Whatever, you know. So I drank, I I I drew a wrong conclusion, and I thought, well, maybe I just don't belong in the vineyard movement. But then something kept tugging at me. And so I went to Eddie Purick's house. We were living in Mission Viejo, and he had a thing for newcomers. And my friend, uh, Martin, wasn't helping any. He, I thought that maybe I should do that just as an act. I don't know. I couldn't figure out. I was so confused, I didn't know what to do. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go to this newcomers thing. But Martin said, no, you can't go. There's a baseball game at, at Angel Stadium. You've got to go. We've got to go. I've I, I never seen a baseball. He's a Swiss guy. i never seen baseball. I, please, we've got to go to the baseball game. And I said, Martin, I, I I can't. I think i got to go to this meeting. He says, what are you going to go to a newcomer? Is it a new believers meeting? I said, yeah. He says, well, I think you're a believer, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I don't know. I think I'm supposed to come. And so when I went there, you know, after they talked and then after he prayed, I felt this presence come on me. It was a powerful presence. And uh, I, I'd never had anything like it. And I started shaking and I, I was so embarrassed. Because that's what all these other vineyard people are doing. I'm shaking, and my hands are shaking, and I can barely... And I'm not trying to shake. I don't want to shake. I don't want anything to do with shaking. So I went like this, and I'm still shaking like that. And then finally, thank God, it disappeared. And uh, it was like on a Tuesday. So then John had heard about me, and he wanted to talk to me. He wanted to talk to my friend Martin, too. I think he really wanted to talk to Martin more, because he was Swiss, and there was this great thing going on in Switzerland. So he says, well, why don't you just come and uh, meet with us at uh, Friday so uh, for lunch? And so Martin and I were going to go. So the morning before, just before I left, I get a phone call from Cambodia, uh, actually from a Cambodian man, and uh, who had just made it over uh, from Cambodia. And uh, he's speaking in broken English. He says, Brother Mike, <laughs> who's this? <laughs> so Paul, so Paul. And he said, uh, we go to Cambodia. I had dream. Now, in Cambodia right now, the, there was still a fighting going on. It was the last part of uh, the 80s. There's all kinds of trouble still there. And uh, the Vietnamese hadn't cleaned up all the Khmer Rouge, and it was just still dicey. But he calls me and says, I had a dream. We go to Cambodia. Well, I knew about Sapal. I mean, one miracle of this guy. And he said, we're going to Cambodia. We're going to Cambodia. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Cambodia. I'm scared to death. I don't want to go to Cambodia. You know, but I kept in my mind, that was what, he, he, so that's what I got, this phone call. And then I go to see John Wimber. And while we're there, in the, the thing, Martin and I get out in the lobby area and we're trying, so most of you know this story, so I'll cut it short. But I want to get to this best part of it. So Martin and I are out there in the lobby and we're trying to figure out how we're going to leave the vineyard. Because we didn't, we didn't, you know, it was just a little too, we just didn't understand, you know, and I don't know why. We just got, you know, how you go the wrong direction sometimes. So, so while we're sitting around the table, John wanted to eat, and we're sitting around the table, and the, 
And the Spirit of God, I didn't know what that, I didn't even understand how that was happening, but uh, my legs began to shake, my knees began to quake while I'm eating lunch, and it began to proceed up my body, you know. And I was, I was terrified. I was, I was, no, I, I was terrified, but I was more embarrassed. I think, oh my gosh, I'm shaking again. And I'm trying to hold on with all my might. I'm holding under the table. God, please don't let anybody know. Please, please. Then I thought, then it just died down. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm thinking it's Jesus. So I pick up my fork, and as soon as I pick up my fork, my hand's just trembling. <laughs> I put the fork down, and by this time, Martin saw, and he saw, he looked at me, and he's like, what's going on? You know, nobody, and I just couldn't, you know, so it got worse and worse and worse and worse. So before I knew it, I was shaking so bad, and John says, well, why don't you just pray for Martin? I said, I, I couldn't talk at that time, so he saw I couldn't move, so he brings Martin over there, and I touched him, and Martin just gets whapped by the whole, falls down screaming at the top of his lungs, so yelling, and then I fell out of my chair and under the table, and then we're just two hours like this, shaking and trembling, and about the second hour, I finally could just crawl out a little bit, and then we said, well, John, we think we would like to join the vineyard after all. <laughs> and he said, I received these two as my sons, and that was it. So the thing is, I didn't know what got me. Because I thought there was just, uh, frankly, I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. But then I thought, well, Martin couldn't have one at the same time. <clears throat> but I realized what was happening was, uh, uh, but, but then Eddie, thank God Eddie was around, because he helped me understand what was going on. I'd received this deluge of love, of love. It was love that was going on. It had made me tender. I became Ferdinand the Bull. You know what Ferdinand the Bull is, you know? Just everything made me cry. I was ridiculous. I'd see a little kid give somebody a flower, I'd start crying on TV, whatever it was. I was a nervous wreck, it seemed like to me. But actually, I was more whole than I'd ever been. Well, on the way back from the office, I was so confused. And so I just needed some kind of verification. This is where this comes from. So I was on the back from the, away from the office, from John Wimber's office, you know, and I'm just a mess, you know, and I couldn't go, and my son was playing t-ball at the time, little seven-year-old down there, you know, and there was a hill, so I sat up at the top of the hill so nobody would notice in case I went off again. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to start shaking, and tears were coming down, and I said, God, I said, God, if this is real, if this is really you, then let my son hit a grand slam home run. <laughs> now, he's seven years old. First of all, a T-ball, they have these balls that don't go anywhere. Like, so, you know, they barely get out of the outfield. I think the entire season I never hit, seen anybody hit one out of the infield, right? They just, you know, beerble it, and they all run around, just constantly running around. So I asked for a grand slam home run to verify this. So I'm looking. God gets on first. God gets on second. God gets on third. And my son just happens to be the fourth batter. And what does he do? He hits the ball. This ball, which I've kept all these days, on April 29th, 1989. Actually, I'm fibbing a little bit. Sorry, Lord. But I couldn't bring the real one because I was afraid I'd lose it. It's too precious to me. So I, I, I got your first home run when you were with the Giants, John. I got that one. But I had, this is, this is my little prop. So I wrote, but on that day, right, here's it happening. I get a call from Sapal. I get this experience with John. <clears throat> my son, after I say, God, if this is real... Let my son hit a grand slam home run. Hits a grand slam as a little T-bar out of the fence. And when he hit it, everybody went, a quiet came over the whole group because nobody had ever seen one, anybody hit it out of the infield. <laughs> and this is going out over the fence. So, <clears throat> well, he became a professional baseball player, so I guess he had some little ability too. But, but at that precise moment, the bases lay, when I'm asking, the bases load, and then it happens, right? And then I knew I was in really big trouble. I knew I was in the vineyard. I was trapped. I didn't know what my role was going to be. I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and so, so, but the thing is that was so powerful is um, the tenderness that's with me to this day. It's the tenderness, the baptism of love, so to speak. And... Uh, I realized that in the Holy Spirit is this love. It's, it's the same love that sent Jesus to the cross. It's the same love that sent the disciples out, right? So when you believe God truly loves you and sincerely yearns to be tender toward you, major spiritual breakthrough happens. It's actually the battle of our life. 
And God gave me a lot of help because I needed it, believe me. I don't know if I ever cried one day in my entire life until that day on April 29, 1989. And then I couldn't stop. Maybe I'd saved up a bunch. I don't know. But uh, Brendan Manning wrote this. I, I like this a lot. He said this, Tenderness is what follows when someone reveals to you your inner beauty when you discover your belovedness. When you are sincerely liked by someone, in short, what happens is I grow tender. So when the Father's love comes, you become tender. You become loving when he ministers that to you. We love, why does the Bible say that? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I just didn't know it could be that dramatic. Tenderness is what God does to our heart when we allow him to supernaturally love us. We love because he first loved us. So there's this yieldedness to the Spirit, but I didn't know, so I'm helping you a little bit. I didn't know that such an experience could happen. I didn't know it was so dramatic. I didn't understand. And it revolutionized my life. And then the amazing part of this whole thing was in this chaos of Cambodia, this horrible thing that happened, so Paul and I end up going to Cambodia. We, did, we were one of the first ones in, me and my friend Martin and him, we were one of the first ones into the chaos going back to Cambodia because the word came on that day. It was so real, so powerful. Everything happened on that day. Now, I just want to just talk a little bit about just some on-ramps to supernatural impartation. Obviously, this was a sovereign event in my life, but if you come to my class called Life in the Spirit, we go out of our way to talk all through the Bible about this, evidence of it, life of David, other passages. And then we minister this. We ask God to come and bring the Father's love. So here's the thing, the supernatural impartation. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. So here's the thing. If you make a mistake, confess quickly and lean hard on God's great compassion. Many can't get past the place that they're not perfect. You just got to learn about God's compassion and learn to be a good confessor and quickly and don't hold grudges and don't hold mistakes and don't let them cripple you the rest of your life because God's got bigger things for you, right? Why do we love? Because he first loved us. But when you sin, you keep sinning. What it does is it blocks the love out. When it blocks the love out, you can't hear your voice. Something goes in your ears and you can't even hear when it gives you the way out. When he tells you what to do, you can't hear it because you're too guilty. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But God helps you with that. Having the paradigm of the love of God and being having the paradigm of supernatural receiving. In other words, we talk about this at our church all the time. We need to learn to be good receivers because you just don't have what it takes in yourself to follow God. And the thing that you're missing the most is the love of God, which he'll gladly give you. This is missed so many times in so many ways. And for years and years, I, I, I saw power. I saw people healed and delivered and everything, but this love thing unraveled me. This love thing undid everything and then put it back together in a way that really began to make sense. Ask the Father for His Spirit. Believe and make space for God to fill you with His Spirit again and again and again. Be a good receiver. And I found out that huge doses of worship are very helpful to me these days. You notice that? We worship, your emotions change. Well, what you have to learn to do is surf them. <laughs> I feel better than when I came. Wow, I'd like to feel a lot better. More, Lord, more, right? You see what I'm saying? And you could do that. Like, I've got this cool phone now, and I just got all this thing, you know, all these song lists and everything. I can barely get to it, but I do. I get to my song list, and I listen to it for like an hour sometimes, especially when I'm running low in love, and then I feel the Lord begin to pull me up and take me up. And then what I'm looking for in all that is I'm looking for love. I'm looking for God's pat on the head. I'm looking for that voice that tells me who I am. He will bring it. You just have to have a paradigm for it. You have to understand this exists. I'm speaking this on Valentine's Day so that you know you can be loved. You can experience love. We have a lot of hard things happening right now. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you don't know when you're going to go back to work again. Some of you just feel so out of it. You don't feel like you're on your game. But you know what God does? He does that to get you back into his game. The entire church right now is undergoing a makeover. You know? We thought we were all going to be incredibly prophetic and it was going to go and the mountains are going to move. They still might. But in the process of the disappointment, 
God's there to love you, encourage you, strengthen you, and give you your assignment. Because the Father loves the Son, the Scripture says, and shows Him all He's doing. I found out that compassion is one of the best guidance systems you'll ever have. Because when you're living in compassion, you begin to hear His voice. You get too excited about yourself and too overwhelmed with somebody else's testimony and stuff. That's fine. But love, spoken directly to you in the heart, gives you a sense of guidance and leading. Take advantage of painful circumstances because it's there you'll find love. I was in a time of great pain. I didn't know what to do. I was in one movement and I was transitioning and I'd been traveling a long time and I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know where my home. I instinctively, I knew I needed to find a church home. I needed to find it. And I couldn't find it. And I didn't know. And I'd looked all over California because I figured out it was California. Then I figured out it was the LA area. Then I figured out the moment I walked into Mission Viejo was Mission Viejo. It's one thing to say you belong in Mission Viejo. It's another thing to live there, especially with the prices and all the things. But I knew it was the place. God's love settled it. And that's why we settled here, right? Don't get hardened with your pain. Ah, it's a great opportunity to be soft and feel God again and get your marching orders. He may delay a little while. You may not know what to do exactly next. But when love comes, you're settled. You're okay. You're going to be all right. You're going to figure it out. Could I just say over you, we're going to figure it out. I look at your faces when I speak, and I can see the hardness some of you have sort of a hardness. You're, you're worried. You're afraid. You've, you've been cooped up. You don't know what to do. You're afraid for your family, your kids. Listen, let God settle you. Let God bring His love. Understand that that's in the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit's important. And I can't go very far beyond it. You know, look what I did. Like, I'm, I'm begging God for home runs and whatever I can to figure out what the heck's happening with me. Well, God will show your own home runs. Your own whatever you need to get you in the right place. But he'll take you to love. Discover and believe the many promises of the goodness of God. I spent a lot of my time looking at the promises of God. I just, everyone I can find. And I take it for myself. Be a good giver. Passing the supernatural currency of God to others. Be a giver. Good giver of supernatural things. I think Isaiah 58 says it the best. Because I found that when I give away what I've been given, whether it's money or whether it's um, just a gift for something or a certain sensitivity, some of you got wounded because you need to help other people in the same place you got wounded. Give it away. Give it away. Don't waste your sorrow. Give it away. If you've been in a horrible divorce, give it away to somebody else that's going through one. If you've been sick, give it away to somebody else that's sick. Give it away. Whatever it is, give it away. We look at Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 to 12. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? This is what God wants us to be about. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free. Your sorrows are to set somebody else free. Don't waste them. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? This is our job. This is what we do. But you can't do it without compassion. And you can't get compassion without God. Right? I see people like work in the warehouse and do other things, volunteer, and they get all excited and they work real hard and I appreciate every bit they do because it helps us immensely. But then I see them burn out and they just, you know, they disappear. That was a nice stint for them. It could have been so much better and so much longer, but they were working off of something else. But the compassion keeps you steady, steady, steady. Keeps you ministering, ministering way past when everybody else goes home. When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light, here's the return, be a good giver. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. You give all this and guess what? You get back. You get healing back. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Can you feel the presence of God in the room now? When the presence of God comes in a room like this, what you feel is a, a certain heavy, like a presence. It's, he's resting now. God's resting right now. You feel that? It's been in the room for about a half hour now. He's been in the room. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. Wow, what a promise, these verses from Isaiah. 
And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So the progression is that the compassion of God bring you to this practical giving and, and sowing. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Don't crawl away in your own pain and your own sorrow and your own disappointment because you, with God, are the answer to your own problems. And it's the compassion that unlocks you, whatever the area is. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, repairer of streets with dwellings. People with the Holy Spirit inside them, people with the compassion of God operating in them, it's not a religious thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a love thing. That operating in them when they volunteer freely and they give of themselves, it only comes back on their own head. It only opens more doors. It only brings more blessing. You cannot absolutely ever give out, out give God. One of the reasons why church exists is for you to have myriad possibilities of giving what you have to other people. If it's all about you being fed, you just have this much. If it's about how I can be a part, how I can be helpful. It's this part. One of the reasons why we built the warehouse is we, we knew we needed something like this. We needed something where you could practically give. You could practically express. You don't have to go to Botswana or Canada or <laughs> Cambodia or wherever. You could just be here and you could just be nice and give. And you could sow. That's one reason we built it. That's the only reason why I didn't want to plant a church in the United States anyway. I, I preferred being overseas is because there was just so much wealth and so much stuff and everybody was so um, shriveled up. They just And I couldn't see how they would find an outlet into the world, how they could do it naturally with all the grace and the wealth and all the stuff. And, and when we started the warehouse, I started with one word ringing in my ears from Mother Teresa. She told me, she said, look, see, and do something about it. And the only reason why she said that to me is because I laughed at her. When I said, when I, I laughed at her because she said, oh, you could do it at your house too, you know. And I said, well, you don't understand where I live. And I'm looking at all these people. And, you know, I, I live in a very wealthy area. I said, where do you live? Orange County. She says, you are so wrong. Look, see, and do something about it. So I need, we needed a space to show compassion. And that helped us. And other things now are helping us, right? Be a good giver. And the last thing, have other people pray prayers of impartation for various gifts and ministries. Prayers of impartation are extremely radical. John Wimber laid his hands on me and said, me and Martin said, I receive you too as my sons. Something happened there. I was done then. No more out of the vineyard. That was it. It was so funny because I could have left at any moment. Then he didn't talk to me for like months. But it was enough. It kept me in place. And what really probably started the whole thing uh, was this this amazing uh, gift that, look at this, for this reason I remind you to fan and flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So we like are contagious. Talk about COVID virus. You can pray for each other and impart anointings and callings that you have. So Eddie actually prayed for me that Tuesday before the Friday with John Wimber. And, uh, and that prayer he prayed for me about the love of the Father was just uh, magnified when John... Uh, was sitting there. John didn't even pray. I think I caught something from Eddie that I've never recovered from. It was like this love disease or something, you know, because he was carrying it. But you know what? There's all kinds of gifts in this room. Gifts of helps, gifts of service, prophetic gifts, you name them. And we can lay hands on each other and release that. I'll tell you a hint. This one, everybody get in line for but if you've had success making money financially, you can pass on a gift to make wealth. Did you know that? Oh, I want that one. I want that one. Oh, do you? Well, God will put you through the paces, but actually it's true. It could happen. But the thing is, there's some work on the inside God wants to do so you don't destroy yourself <laughs> and wreck a whole bunch of other people. Because money is a very difficult thing to handle. I know that more and more as I go on. God's grace be on us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray you come right now. Why don't you stand? There's a vulnerability in the room, partially from what I'm saying and also because of the sorrow we've been through. I'm going to pray a prayer, and it will affect you now. 
but also uh, I call these boomerang prayers because I can tell what God's doing in the room, something really quite special. When I pray this, this is going to be boomeranging in your spirit for a while. It's going to be there. You'll watch it. You watch. Because of this impartation, I can feel, you know, it can't happen every moment. This moment, God's going to impart things, a compassion in you for others, a compassion and, and a feeling of being loved by God that you won't be able to escape. And some of you, it's going to change a lot of things for you quickly. Some of you have been offended by the Lord. Just don't understand why things have happened. It's been so bad. Where's God? God's not anywhere. He's where He's always been. But I just want to release His love right now over this place. I want you just to be a good receiver now. We're just going to take a moment. This is going to seem so ordinary for some, but beware of the virus that I'm releasing. <laughs> the Vineyard's version of COVID-19 here. We'll call this something better. Holy Spirit 19. Father's love 18. Whatever it is. But I know he's here. So Lord, now just put your hands up if you would just like a dose of the Father's love. Just something to, just just put your hands up. Be a good receiver. Father, in the pain, the sorrow that we've been through, the disappointment and the discouragement, we need supernatural help. Because ordinary help isn't going to make it. We need you, Dad. We need you to love us. We need to give us a hug. We need to hear your voice and tell us what's next. We need you to lead us. We need you to heal our bad attitudes, our lack of faith, our worry about our relatives, our worry about our culture and our country and put confidence instead. <sighs> Spirit of God, just come. And I said, a lot, number of you just getting, just let him come. It's going to take a few minutes. That's it. More, Lord. More. Holy Spirit, you're so welcome here. A number of us need to get back on the saddle. And we want to. We just need you to help us from the inside out. We've been bucked off pretty hard, Lord. We've been falling to the ground. Have mercy on us. Lift us up now and tomorrow and the next day. Holy Spirit, put your fire in us. Put your love in us. Let the tears come. Let the compassion come. Man, I tell you what, this is wonderful. I feel compassion this whole tent. I can feel the presence. Thank you, God. Not just now, Lord, but tonight and tomorrow, the next day and the next day, in us, in our families, in our relatives, everything that's near and dear to us. May your spirit come. Those that have been broken into pieces by this crisis or some other crisis, I pray God would heal your heart right now. Only God can heal you. Only God can help you. Only God can restore you. May the Lord restore you. May he give you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you all.